This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone, on this mozzy old Monday afternoon. Well, first semester report cards have gone out across the province, and students are getting pretty excited for the Christmas break. I know I have one uh, kid at home who is extremely excited. Uh, Well, this is the first year that classes have gone back to normal since the winter of 2020, believe it or not. Normal, of course, being a relative term. COVID, influenza, and other respiratory illnesses are circulating in the community with a vengeance and the teaching profession is facing the same kinds of labor crunch stresses and strains faced by just about every other profession in the wake of the pandemic. Well here to talk a little bit about some of the issues facing the teaching profession on On Target today is NLTA President Trent Langdon. Hello. Good afternoon Linda. Good to speak with you again. Yes and uh, glad to have you uh, back on board. So how does the 20, how is the 2022 23 school years shaping up so far yeah so you know where do you even start right uh, relative to the previous years that we've had um uh, it's still a lot of pressure there, to be honest, Linda. You know, we're always trying to uh, to celebrate the positives, uh, but you, you know, you, you referenced in your in your uh, intro there that uh, you know it is flu season, respiratory illnesses on the increase, COVID is still not gone, so you know that's still hovering there. Schools are still in operation, but that along with the uh, substitute teacher shortage and the uh, certain positions still not being filled yet, there, there's a heaviness there still. And uh, again, uh, you know, we we are looking forward to a break over over the Christmas season for for our students and ourselves. And uh, but at the same time, we, we can't overlook uh, those concerns right now either. So how are teachers getting back into the swing of things in uh, this relative return to normalcy? I mean, f- for all intents and purposes, it's essentially like it was before pandemic, but not necessarily. So how is that going? Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, bottom line, uh, we, we, we are seeing and hearing that there are significant numbers of students out due to, to illness, uh, various kinds of illness. It is not not just COVID uh, and, and our members as well. Uh, we, they've, they've been experiencing some sickness as well. Uh, so that combined with uh, substitute teacher shortages and uh, positions being unfilled, um, it, it, there's a there's a heaviness in the system right now. And uh, it, it's just a great deal of fatigue. And we often talk about the other sectors, don't we, the healthcare system and policing and, and other groups where the pressure is there, caseloads are extremely high, how do you get to everyone you need? But specifically in the school system right now, and I've said this on many interviews prior to prior to this one, where it's very common to, to do your lesson plan for a day, but when you come in, it looks totally different. You, you lose your prep period. Um, you are uh, sometimes asked to double up classes. Classes are doubling up in the gymnasium because, uh, if, for example, a sub can't come in. Um, uh, we have people that are doing extra duty during lunch and, and recess. I, I heard one teacher just yesterday who was called in and otherwise wouldn't have had any duty that day but had to do morning recess and lunch duty in addition to everything else. So um, it's there's a pressure uh, that's there in the system. And uh, uh, we often say it's a hidden reality right now in this province that our education system, which is the root of, of everything, really, when you think about it, um, in terms of families and so on, um, is, uh, is hurting. We're hurting behind the scenes. So this surge in respiratory viruses that we're seeing that are impacting uh, the Janeway Hospital, for instance, uh, are you seeing that in the classrooms right now? 
Yeah, definitely so. Yeah, it's uh, I've heard depending on who you speak with at any given time, you you hear different percentages that are out. I've heard uh, you know 30, 40 percent of certain classes are out. I've heard uh, staffs are really suffering in certain regions. Um, uh, but you know, in the end, uh, if, if uh, uh, schools are a cross section of community, aren't they? So if you're experiencing it in the hospitals or experiencing it in the seniors' homes and in communities, you're going to experience the same thing in schools. Uh, and uh, COVID was a good example of that. That uh, schools were it was uh, touted by government the last to close and first to open. Schools continue on, but there's a pressure there behind the scenes for sure. So you mentioned substitute teacher shortages, and you and I have been speaking about this for what seems like yes. ages. Yeah. How are we doing in terms of, of the availability of substitute teachers? Right, and it depends on the region, really, Linda. It's, uh, you know, our rural, uh, isolated and rural areas are really, really struggling. If it wasn't for retirees at this point of the game, uh, and just for the listeners to understand, is uh, if a retiree would like to come back and substitute, they're given approval to do so for a certain amount of time throughout the school year just to fill off um, vacancies. And so we We've had to totally rely upon our retirees coming back, our recent retirees, and some who haven't been teaching in years have come back. Um, but if it wasn't for those individuals, our, our, you know, we'd be to a point, no doubt, where some hardcore decisions would have to be made by the school districts to say whether or not those buildings need to be open. And even some of our members at this point say that the pressures are so heavy. Uh, I heard there's a very... Uh, uh, just one school in a, in a metro part of the province uh, that uh, was is on, on the daily are short four teachers. So very quickly you can see how that starts adding up. And uh, if it gets much higher, it gets a, it gets to a point where safety is a concern when it, when it comes to uh, emergencies or dealing with uh, individual children who might need extra supports. Uh, the operations of these buildings are certainly going to come into question. So what are some of the barriers then to filling those substitute teaching positions? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, this, you know, if, if we were to truly look at the, the, the shortage issue in this province right now, it was, it didn't happen overnight, Linda. There's um, there's a lot of people who've, uh, well, just look at graduation rates, for example, from Moore University, they've declined through the years. Uh, I know I, I, when I graduated... Back in the 90s, uh, I had heard stories of, of nearly 400 teachers graduating per year, and now we're between one and 200 per year or per uh, per graduation. Um, so just that alone, but also people not choosing the profession, people choosing to leave the profession at a young age because of the stress and the and the uncertainty of of getting days and of getting. Um, uh, in the area that they want to be working, those types of things. So it's uh, and it's, it's no different in any other sector. You know, you, you've, um, you've you've got people that are, are being pulled to different parts of the country because opportunities may be seemingly be better. Uh, so it's it's it didn't happen overnight though. This is this is the writing was on the wall for some time. We're just now feeling it, much like the nurses and other groups for sure. So do you choose to be a substitute teacher? Uh, some do. Uh, I just spoke with a substitute just uh, last week because uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, the, the current situation of finding finding days and so on. Uh, and um, uh, it, the conversation went to uh, them eventually moving into a position. They said, no, you know, I, I like the life of being a substitute. I got a different class every day, that kind of thing. Uh, now, ideally, we'd have subs uh, being uh, consistent in certain classrooms, uh, but uh, some people do value the life of a substitute teacher and that uh, that in and out type uh, type of approach. So there are some who are, are quite content being uh, full time uh, permanent uh, uh, substitute teachers, so to speak, um, uh, even though they're not on a permanent contract. Uh, but uh, with regards to uh, the majority of subs, I would argue eventually want to get into a permanent position. So, what are they usually on call? Is that how that works? 
Yeah, so uh, uh, there's a, a new system in the province right now called Smart Find. It's an automated call-in system, and so they're within that system. And uh, so as a, as a vacancy comes up, if I, you know, when I left the system, I would enter uh, my vacancy for the day, and the system would uh, then appropriately call someone in in my place. And of course, you had experienced some problems with that initially. How is that working now? Yeah, well, discussions are ongoing with the school districts on, on, on this one uh, because, uh, yeah, we, we had significant concern from our membership as to some glitches and uh, uh, just uh, things interfering with properly filling days. And uh, we've had some uh, very positive discussions with the district. Uh, there's there's very much a willingness on their end to, to review many of these things that are currently existing. Um, there's been some focus groups with our teachers um, to, to see how we can fix it because in the end it's going to benefit the districts just as much as our teachers uh, to have a, a, a streamlined system here where positions get filled, where nothing is missed, and most importantly, there's consistency for our students. And are um, substitutes paid on a similar scale to other teachers? How does that work? Well, in this province, the way it works, you get paid according to uh, there's a there's a scale based on time you've served and so on. I know in other provinces uh, you get a flat rate no matter how many uh, how uh, senior you are in your position, right? So uh, yeah, so there is a, a substitute teacher scale as well. And is that a barrier or, you know, is there improvements that can be made there? Well, we obviously, uh, you know, with, with this kind of work, uh, especially given the shortage, uh, we, we've been advocating for some time that to, to make the life of substitute teaching a little bit more attractive. And whether that means an increase in salary, that's certainly one angle. Uh, but just uh, right now, the, the problems we've been seeing, and again, there is a willingness on the part of, of the school district to try and rectify some of these problems. Uh, and uh, uh, But if, if there are barriers like that that are preventing people from wanting to go into the system in the first place, because generally speaking, you're going to be a substitute before you move into a full-time position. That's always been the lay of the land here, and it's pretty much the lay of the land in, in other parts of the country, unless you're in a very specific, specialized area of teaching where uh, you may lock into a, a job right away. Uh, but that is generally the lay of the land. You move, work your way through subbing and then uh, into a replacement and then into a, into a full-time permanent position. Our guest today on On Target is president of the Newfoundland and Labrador Teachers Association, Trent Langdon. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're back. Our guest today on On Target is Newfoundland and Labrador Teachers Association President Trent Langdon. And uh, Trent, as we've touched on earlier, the pandemic, of course, has had some pretty extraordinary uh, impacts on human resources in all kinds of sectors. Uh, but the staff shortages sorry, in healthcare, have uh, dominated headlines. What's it like in, in the teaching profession? Yeah, for sure, and, and you know it's 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 not surprising that healthcare is often a top headline in our in our uh, in within the media and within our province right now because you know no matter who you ask, it's it's healthcare is so important. Uh, but when if you truly look behind the scenes right now in our school system, uh, there's there's a lot of stress, there's a heaviness, there's a fatigue uh, amongst teachers that are really doing their best uh, uh, to meet the expectations with with the hand they've been dealt. Uh, the expectations are are unrealistic in many ways and um, just triage that happens every single day. So uh, it's not uncommon for 
for example, let me use the example of a, teach, a reading specialist, sorry. Uh, that person is assigned exactly that role, to be a reading specialist in support of, of classroom teachers and, and individual students in those classes. And because of reassignment due to staff shortages, they are not able to do their job. Another example is guidance counselors. It's not uncommon for them to be pulled uh, when you would think mental health and, and, and wellness uh, should be a top priority in schools. And, and even though it says it is, by virtue of being pulling people from these positions, um, you know, what, what is it you're saying? You're saying that you're, you're keeping doors open, but yet these vital services are being being uh, pulled pulled aside. So uh, just that stress of, uh, of uh, being unsure what each day is going to look like, um, robbing Peter to pay Paul in many ways from, from resourcing angles within within the school buildings, and, uh, and and knowing full well when you start your day, it's going to be a day like that. There's no, there's, there's no real stability there right now. Schools are remaining open, uh, but um, there, there is, there's critical times where, where people are feeling extremely overwhelmed. And I understand it's already reached uh, crisis levels in some other jurisdictions. Yeah, we've we've seen some headlines in other other provinces for sure. Uh, it's it, very very critical, absolutely. Uh, and uh, as as I've often said in the media, is uh, you know in the education system, we're always trying to uh, position ourselves in the public uh, uh, debate or dialogue uh, as it compares to healthcare. And again, healthcare when emergency rooms are closing and beds are closing, uh, life and death situations uh, in many ways trump a lot of things, don't they? And so with regards to the education system, we are or my my position right here now is to make every effort for parents to realize that behind the scenes teachers are digging in they're doing what they can uh, to cover off uh, uh, vacancies they're doing what they can to to make sure the school runs as properly as possible that we still have those Christmas concerts we still have those special events but the heaviness is there and um, the, the needs of children don't change uh, there may be some children out by virtue of the respiratory illnesses and so on uh, but the needs of those children are still quite high and I haven't even spoken about special services right now where that level of service really can change because their ability to to, to turn on a dime or the importance of routine that's that's where things are are potentially getting lost when teachers are really being uh, pulled to to the limit to try and to meet their needs so what's behind these uh, lower staffing levels um, is it demographics I mean one time I can remember that uh, you know teaching was always seen as a very attractive profession there was all kinds of people who were interested in teaching um, what's changed um, it- it really depends on the region, and it depends on uh, how you look at it, I guess, in many ways, Linda. Uh, it, as I've said in the past, uh, the, the recruitment and retention issue around becoming an educator is an issue worldwide. But here in this province, we have an opportunity to, 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 to buck that system and to, and to create a, opportunities for people to, to view Newfoundland and Labrador as a great place to come and start their education um, uh, career. Um, we need to do a better job in this province of getting kids in high school to consider education and teaching as an option. Um, there was a real glut back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s of people applying to education. It's, it's, uh, um, it, was, uh, it was considered uh, a position where people wanted to be. But when you're in uh, areas, say, for example, say, I'll use Labrador West, for example, where uh, the mine is competing with, with good salaries and, and opportunities, um, some people are saying, you know what, I'll work in the mine. I can always go back teaching. So those types of other uh, uh, opportunities, uh, whether it be in other provinces in the country 
uh, it may be deemed more lucrative. Uh, and But also the stress in the system right now is a deterrent for some. Some people feel so overwhelmed with the requirements and expectations of being a teacher. Uh, I, I've spoken with teachers who wouldn't even consider, uh, uh, or should say I spoke with people who wouldn't even consider becoming a teacher. They say, you know, I, I don't envy you at all in, in what you're doing. Uh, and uh, it's not so much that children are difficult to deal with, but it's the pure volume. It's the volume of expectation. It's the volume of preparation, the volume of of uh, accountability, uh, the social media realm we're living in. I know I'm throwing a lot of different things at you there now, but uh, it's a combination of things that, that has led to this shortage. And do you think perhaps in this province anyway, because I know for quite some time we've had this real push in post-secondary and and in the high school levels towards the trades. And there's nothing wrong Correct. with that. Skill trades Correct. are absolutely essential. Don't yep. get me wrong. But do you think that, that the attraction that that has might have diverted people away from other professions? Yeah, you know, as a guidance counselor, I very much believe if you're, if you're aiming and heading for the trades, you go for the trades. And if, if you're... W- better suited for that? Absolutely. Uh, I know the the government and, and the provinces put a lot of emphasis on building the trades and building uh, the sciences, but also the oil industry and other groups. Uh, th- there's significant uh, financial reward for being into those into those uh, positions, and that, that's a draw for young people as well. Uh, more needs to be done around driving people back into the human resource sector. It's not easy being a teacher these days. It's not easy being a nurse. It's not easy being a social worker because of the social needs that are in our province right now. Um, to be uh, professionals in those realms, given inflation, given mental health concerns, given health issues, you can only imagine being being those professionals on the ground, what they're experiencing, because uh, I'm not just simply teaching mathematics or just teaching social studies, for example. I am the go-to person for everything right now, uh, everything that I just listed. And when I'm listening to your report earlier that there's another 7% increase in inflation expected for for next year, that's what schools are wearing. That's what teachers are wearing. And day in, day out, they've become social workers and psychologists and teachers in addition to everything else. Uh, and to go back to our previous point, I think that's in some ways becoming a deterrent for some people to go into the teaching realm. But it's more than just a job. It's a vocation. It's a, it's a calling, really. I would agree 100%. I I, uh, I can't say from the outset. I always uh, uh, said I was going to be a teacher, but uh, I, I realized quickly into my university years uh, after doing some volunteering and so on that I wanted to be working with children and supporting families. The human sector in this province is, I, I would argue, uh, is in is in dire need. Uh, the public sector is in dire need in this province. But we have such a unique situation here in this province as well, that where we, we care so much for each other. We do what we can to support each other. Uh, we could have a very unique situation here where our public sector is outshining everyone else, and we can actually be a draw for people. Uh, when people, when uh, newcomers come here, they know how welcoming we are. But right now, our uh, our people on the ground are hurting as a result of it. And I uh, examples I gave, uh, nurses. Uh, social workers but i speak i speak for teachers uh but i've spoken with police officers as well you know their caseloads are through the roof so all those frontline people that are doing what they can to to make sure families are functional and and surviving covid surviving the inflation rates the uh the stressors that are uh, everywhere right now that's what we need an investment in the human sciences in in this province
And of course, um, um, you you don't just hear the concerns of your members and, and pass it on to government. You're also seeking solutions. So how can it be addressed? How can we, uh, I guess, uh, put some of this push towards some of these more um, social um, side of um, workload? Right. Yeah, for sure. So, our, you know, our, our current minister of education has been in his portfolio now since the summer. And, and basically from day one, he said recruitment and retention has been his focus. Uh, to be honest, we're not seeing a whole lot. Uh, it's been six months now, and uh, we're, we're continually asking for answers and seeing what, what can happen. There's been some examples of incentives being offered in small communities. Uh, it has worked, but minimally. Um, there were some uh, incentives offered to fill some positions, uh, financial incentives, that, that is. And there was some success, but in some cases there were no applicants. Uh, now, there has to be applicants nationally, uh, if not in the province. So what is it going to take to get people to come to Newfoundland and Labrador and see the value it has in addition to money. So in, uh, financial incentives, obviously, just recognizing the cost of travel in this province or the, the cost of housing. Uh, there is no housing in certain parts of the province, number one, let alone the cost of housing. Uh, that's what I hear in Lab West, for example, or uh, in other rural areas, is that housing is an issue, uh, quality housing. Uh, maybe we need to look at some opportunities for teachers uh, to, to have an investment in teaching in this province to say, look, maybe we'll look at student loan forgiveness. Uh, maybe... Um, uh, uh, there's there's opportunities to to get staffing done earlier, so we're not losing qualified good people off to the northern parts of Canada. Um, are there opportunities to get people in permanent positions on a part-time basis, um, and uh, that way we solidify them and give them the support they need? Because right now there's positions being offered a 0.08 of a position in a rural area. Who can afford to live in rural Newfoundland on a 0.08 of a position? It doesn't make any sense. So uh, there's practical things we can do, but there's from a, an intrinsic value approach, more needs to be done to draw people into the teaching profession in this province. And you mentioned uh, John Haggie, and I want to ask you more about um, your discussions with him when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is president of the Newfoundland and Labrador Teachers Association Trent Langdon will be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Our guest today is NLTA President Trent Langdon. And uh, Trent, you mentioned the new education minister, John Haggy. You've met with him now. Um, is he open to addressing some of the concerns you have? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I've, I've heard that he's open. I, again, we're not seeing a whole lot, though. That's the problem is uh, we've, we've heard that there, there's a commitment. Um, if we're going to make moves on any of these issues, it needs to start somewhere, but there needs to be a long-term plan. You know, education is a long-term investment. We're not going to see significant changes next year, but we need to see have a 10-year plan here, a comprehensive strategy that focuses on resourcing, retention, and uh, and recruitment. So, you know, those, it's, it's not a simple is saying, well, this, there's a one-size-fits-all or, or one fix to, to, to really de delve into these issues. They're deep-rooted. Uh, our province is very unique in many ways um, in a positive light, but we have a lot of uh, challenges as well. Uh, for example, uh, most recent stats I heard is, is, is that uh, one in 45 of our children in, in ages 5 to 17 have autism. So those services, and that's just one prime example I decided to use, but within special services or within uh, when you have a large class size or where you have a composition such as that where the needs are high in your rooms um, something specific and unique needs to be done here uh, but there needs to be we, we need a clear-cut direction as to what is going to be that's starting now and that it may take 10 years to get to that point we often hear band-aids we hear 
of, uh, well, that looks like a good idea, but, uh, you know, may, now is not the time. My fear, Linda, right now is that we're going to look back in 10, 20 years from now, and uh, we're going to look at the history that was written, and uh, we're going to say, uh, uh, did the decision makers do the right thing at the right time? Because it's just going to get continually worse if something doesn't change at this point. We've spoken uh, at length uh, about classroom composition and the like. How are we doing when it comes to in-class um, um, supports? I, I would argue that you know class size is one thing, uh, but uh, you ask any educator, it's the composition of that class that is, that is the heaviest part. Uh, you, you could have uh, several kids in that in that room with significant behavioral concerns. You could have several kids in in in, in there with physical concerns, uh, mental health needs, and so very, very quickly. If I were to challenge any any member listening or any member of the public listening right now out there, and every day you are required to go in and teach a class of 30 plus, and every single one of those children had different needs, but yet you were supposed to get them to reach curriculum uh, and meet the outcomes uh, at whatever level they were able uh, in in five hours a day or however long they're in the classroom with them, uh, and uh, and to properly evaluate and assess them. Uh, so when, when you start looking at all the individual needs, and I had said earlier that our classrooms are a cross-section of society, so you take any 30 individuals, adults from our, uh, uh, from our society, and throw them in the classroom, you very quickly see the challenges that a person may have. The difference is, is we can't shut our doors. Our schools remain remain open no matter what, no matter what, for the most part. And um, and and because of those reasons, teachers are being expected to do what they can with what they were being given. And right now, doors are staying open. But uh, as I said earlier, we're triaging on a daily basis, and uh, it's it's not business as usual, not even close. So in terms of uh, classroom size, how are we doing with that? Because I know um, at Brother Rice Junior High, for instance, early in the school year, they said, hey, we are going to add um, extra classes in each of these grade levels. Um, Is that a common practice? Uh, How does that work? And, And is that a better way of addressing classroom sizes? Are we getting closer to doing that? Well, that's that's usually the appeal process. So at the start of the year, they 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 reevaluate as to how many children are in the school, how many classes they're expected to have. Once the school year starts, and then they're uh, several weeks in usually, and it's determined that classes are larger. Uh, I was teaching one year, and it was January before it was identified that another class was needed. And so you're splitting a class, or you're, or you're making a new class in January month. It's often way too late that these things are happening. I do understand that you got to make sure that there's bums in seats, as they say. Uh, but um, those stressors on those schools uh, are usually up front in, I would argue, from September to November when they're trying to prove, number one, who's in their building, but number two, what the needs are. And um, the appeal process is lengthy. Uh, it's constant uh, uh, advocacy on the part of principals and vice principals and school staffs and special services groups, uh, special services teams within those schools to prove, to say, look, the needs here are so much greater. And, and our biggest challenge right now is we're, we're not a needs-based system. Uh, it's a it's a, a budget-based system that we have in this province right now. Uh, the teacher allocation review that just recently came down focused uh, significantly on uh, special needs, or sh- I should say needs, versus uh, a budget-based. And there was one recommendation within that said if more than 50% of a class has children with, with diagnoses, that you, you split that class. Whether government bites onto that, I don't know. But uh, that would be a huge leap forward for us to say, uh, but to go back to my previous point 50 percent of your of your uh, children in that in that room may have a diagnosis that just shows you uh, the complexity of teaching right now in 2022 
For sure. And, and we're more aware of these kinds we of are. things. One time, those students were the ones that ended up getting left behind or dropping out or whatever the case may be. Yes. Now we're more aware of it. Now we're trying our best to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, good point. And uh, and I, I to, to think that we're running a school system here now in 2022 we, where we have all of this identified, uh, we know the supports that we should be giving these children uh, is is reassuring. That's 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 where we want to be. We don't want kids falling through the cracks. But the problem lies in is that the resourcing doesn't match the identified needs that we know are there, and uh, that's the sad part about it. So we are in a position to know what's needed, but yet we cannot offer it. Ch- uh, our, our teachers are doing what they can with what they've been given. And uh, uh, bottom line, there needs, uh, and we know there's, uh, we keep hearing of deficits and we keep hearing of money and, and whatever, but until there's a significant investment of money, which means people on the ground in this system, uh, we're not going to see any major improvement. We've heard it in other professions where uh, young students uh, just coming out of their post-secondary are walking out the door and boom, there are other provinces there uh, swooping in and making offers and whisking them away. Is that what's happening as well when it comes to uh, teachers? I've heard examples of that. I heard uh, heard from a teacher recently, a retired teacher, whose daughter was uh, training in a different university out of province and wanted to come back to Newfoundland, uh, potentially to teach. But when they saw the lay of the land here and... Uh, all things considered, they chose not to. So, uh, and that's uh, so. It was a genetic piece there of a, of a, a long-time educational family. Uh, the, the child wanted to come back here. Uh, the parents were still living here, to my knowledge. But uh, because of other uh, incentives and and for the realities of teaching in this province right now, uh, chose not to come here. And uh, I know we often talk about our brightest and best to go off into the healthcare field to be doctors and surgeons and scientists and so on. And I know I'm just throwing out phrases there, but uh, we need our best and our brightest to become teachers too. Uh, and so uh, I, I would, uh, for anybody who's out there listening right now that is a young person considering it or is a, uh, a person who is uh, completing the education degree, keep plugging away. We need you. And, um, you know, it's it's true leadership that takes place in our schools. Again, to go back to our uh, our uh, ad campaigns, uh, we're, we're changing lives every day in this province. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the system right now is so heavy uh, that um, uh, the, the services that we're, we're able to provide right now are not as strong as we as we would like to see them, uh, because if we were truly supported the way we needed to be, our schools could be that much stronger. Trent Langdon is our guest today on On Target, president of the NLTA. And when we come back, Trent, I want to ask you about the merger of the school board into um, core government sure. and how that's all working, as well as a num- number of other items uh, coming up right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Our guest today is the president of the Newfoundland Labrador Teachers Association, Trent Langdon and uh, Trent, the merger of the school board into core government was one of the um, pieces of, I guess, advice from the Green Report. Um, how is that going, and and does it pose any concerns? 
Um, well, we, to be honest with you, Linda, we, we've heard very little, and we're continuing to hear very, very little. Uh, from, from our knowledge of the system right now, there's not a whole lot being said. Um, uh, in the end, it's always been our stance uh, from day one is that any monies saved by this process, that they be retained within the education system and put back into our schools, and that it not be a downloading of, of stress and, uh, and workload on, on teachers and administrators. Uh, but, but again, this process has been uh, very much undercover for a long time it seems, when, with no clear direction as to where it's going to lead or how it's going to end up. We've seen varying levels of success in other parts of the country when this kind of thing has happened. Uh, so it's, um, I, I have very little to share, to be honest with you, on that regard. And what's the ultimate, I guess, goal uh, of doing so? Have you been informed of that? Well, uh, to my knowledge, it was it was a way of streamlining things to uh, uh, to to uh, save money. Uh, to to what we've been told, uh, I guess there's been models elsewhere where it's seemed a bit to prove well. Uh, uh, whenever I see trustees being removed from a school board, which are elected officials from the community, that that worries me to a degree. Um, uh, but again, it's uh, uh, it's 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 rarely. Uh, uh, Rarely any information is shared as to what the next steps are going to be. I, I've heard, or the public knows now, that Tony uh, Stack is, is retiring. Uh, and up and above that, we, we have no knowledge as to as to where things are going to go. So it's uh, um, it's going to be interesting to see the way it plays out. But bottom line, we will be uh, uh, deeply tuned into what's going on and making sure that things are where we need to see it. And to what degree do you interact, I suppose, with the school board? Uh, we have, uh, I would say, if not daily, certainly uh, several times a week, we, we meet with, uh, we have conversations with school district personnel. Ultimately, it's our senior staff with theirs on varying levels of, uh, of uh, operations. It could be smart find, it could be uh, hiring, it could be anything. So it's very frequent that we have back and forth with, uh, with the school district. Uh, government obviously has a significant role to play within this as well, and our senior staff meet with those, uh, those their senior staff as well frequently. Um, uh, once again, it's uh, uh, it's it's problematic in many ways because the province, the the public is not aware of truly what's going on. We've been promised and uh, it's been reinforced that on the day-to-day basis and the running of the schools that there there should not be any change to that. It should not be seen. Uh, but anytime anything takes as long as this and we're not getting any direction uh, is, is always uh, disconcerting to a degree to see truly where it's going to land. You, you've clearly said you don't know how this is going to work, but I mean, in terms of on a daily basis, if you're dealing with the school district on a daily basis, I mean, what does it mean now? Will you be having to do that with the minister or deputy minister? Well, I assume the same levels of support are going to be there, and that was our argument right from day one, is that any time one of our administrators or teachers needs support, that they, they go up the chain of command. Now, it, it may just simply happen that they're now a part of government versus a part of the school district. That same level of service should still exist, uh, and uh, we have no reason to think at this point that it won't, uh, but Will it just be a relabeling of what NLESD is right now? We've been told already that the, the Conseil or the CSFP, the, the Francophone district, is going to remain as is. So we're just purely talking about NLESD here. Uh, is it simply a relabeling? It's a, is it a, uh, uh, a readjustment phase where things are going to look much different? We don't really know at this point. And I'm, uh, unfortunately, I'm being 100% honest with you, Linda. We don't, uh, we don't truly know how it's going to play itself out. Uh, we've heard again that uh, final exams are being cancelled for this year. What's the NLTA's response to that? Yeah, so uh, you know that's 
all depends on what side of the fence you sit on that one, whether or not you believe that that's what's good or what's not good. Uh, some of our administrators feel public exams should at, or absolutely be in place. Our teachers, same thing. Others feel that it's 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 fine uh, not to have public exams. Uh, the province has said that uh, reassessment or sorry assessment and evaluation are a big focus right now. They're going to be looking at innovative and modern approaches to that. Um, High-stakes testing is a big concern for many students, obviously, having significant portions of their uh, of their education focused on one test, and all of a sudden, if they do poorly, they're, they're in trouble, that type of thing, and the stress that goes along with. Uh, but then there's the other side of that coin of, are we truly preparing our, our students, our high school students, for post-secondary when that type of evaluation still exists there? So, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions to be asked. Right now, uh, uh, part of my position is to, is to ensure that any any uh, consultation or any work that's done around that, that we're a part of it and that we uh, we give our per- uh, perception of it and our perspectives on it. Uh, but uh, I would argue, depending on the educator in the province, you, you might get different responses. Are you providing any input in terms of uh, how that uh, assessment will look? Well, again, they they often uh, compare and look at other provinces when they're doing things like this. And uh, all we've been told at this point is that uh, uh, that they're looking at uh, a new evaluation policy moving forward. Uh, we've we've been. Uh, uh, more or less told that we will be a part of those consultations. Uh, in, in the end, government is able to, to make those decisions as they see fit. Uh, but at, from the teachers I've spoken with, uh, there's, a, there's a deep concern that are we truly preparing our, our high school students? Because many people think that once we graduate our students that our teachers say, well, they're done. We don't think about them anymore. But a significant part of our high school teaching uh, and junior high is prepping kids for post-secondary. And so we have deep, deep thought and deep concern for those children when they move on. And are we truly uh, setting them up for success when uh, certainly during COVID there wasn't a whole lot of testing anyway but once you start uh, uh, looking at different evaluation uh, uh, processes we got to make sure that they're they're in line with uh, the best interests of children but also based on research obviously. So we've had a succession of years now where there's been no final exam. Um, do you think this is going to be made permanent? Uh, you know what? I have no idea, and that, that certainly would be beyond uh, my capability here to, to even speculate on that. Uh, my my interactions with uh, the previous minister were, were simply that uh, uh, any consultation that would take place would be a back and forth, and we'd uh, give our input. But we always go to our membership. We ask our members what they think, because generally on any issue we get differing perspectives. But we we do con- try to come together with uh, information from our member members and data that uh, are rooted in, as I said, research and rooted also in in best practice and what's best for children because this is developmental concerns as well not just academic uh, and uh, overall our concerns would be time lost over during COVID but also uh, how are we properly evaluating our, our students in the high school realm. During COVID the focus was put and rightfully so was put on uh, a student's well-being um, mm-hmm. in addition to other things but uh, just before the pandemic there was a real push towards uh, math and reading proficiency and some real concerns there yep. uh, stemming from our overall uh, outcomes in this province compared to other jurisdictions and what mm-hmm. uh, post-secondary institutions were seeing in terms of uh, kids who might not have been as prepared as they should have been so how are we doing in, in reaching some of those goals in terms of math and reading proficiency. Right. And that's if, again, from the members I've heard from, that's, that's the thing. We, we, there needs to be a refocus more back onto into those realms. So we, we've, and we, we support it full well when we're in the middle of an uh, international pandemic. 
that to focus on the social emotional needs of children was number one. Even even ourselves, for God's sake, we needed to do that. Uh, but there needs to be a, a, a turning point now where we uh, we incorporate the social emotional needs back into what it truly means to be a strong student and to be a strong ep- academic focus and to support those children, whether they're going to university, college, or looking at some type of uh, other program. Uh, so it's uh, uh, you know I know government is always looking at how we how we uh, compare uh, to other provinces and to other countries in terms of our math scores and so on. Uh, that shouldn't be the number one reason why we do an evaluation, but it's no doubt taken into consideration because, uh, uh, you know, it's the whole child we're trying to develop here, certainly not just the mathematic mind or the literary mind. And, uh, you know, depending on the circumstances, I suppose, um, this may be our last chat uh, before the holiday season. Uh, I was going to ask you uh, for any final thoughts and, and a message yeah. for your members and students as we head into the holidays. No, I appreciate the opportunity. It's, uh, you know, just to rewind a bit, uh, you're not going to find a better profession. I know the stress is heavy right now in the system. Uh, it's We do need strong, capable, focused, uh, and dedicated people in, in this profession right now. Uh, you're not going to find a uh, uh, um, uh, a profession that's more rewarding. You're not going to find a profession that uh, that gives back more. Uh, so if you're at all considering going into the education field to our high school students, please consider, even to our K-9 kids, uh, consider it down the road. It's it's something where you'll want to be. And, uh, and as for the holidays coming in, please be safe to everybody out there. Our members are working diligently to support uh, their families and their communities. And uh, we want nothing but uh, the best for everyone and to come back healthy and happy in the new year. Tell me they're bringing back the Christmas concerts. <laughs> I've been hearing good things. I've been hearing good things, yeah. So it all depends on the ability of an individual school and uh, the teachers and so on to do so. But I've, I've been hearing the same. And so, uh, yeah, I, there's nothing like a good uh, Christmas concert or a good sing-along to get you into the Christmas spirit for sure. Oh, and all those cute little costumes and everything. I really missed it. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. <laughs> well, uh, Trent, uh, we still have actually two minutes to go. Okay, <laughs> any Any thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, ultimately with, with us uh, as an association, we, we service uh, uh, over 6,000 members in this province, and it's 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 rural and urban uh, mixed together, but it's very unique. Uh, but uh, to go back to the previous point around recruitment and retention, we're, we're doing what we can to, to, to make it known out there that the education system is doing what it can to support families where they are in their communities. And, uh, you know, we've got a bunch of professionals every day on the ground where we're encouraging government to really view those schools as opportunities to, to be hubs of service. Uh, we'd like nothing more than to say, well, you know what, maybe we can help uh, the community support of a public health nurse working from the school, uh, a social worker working from the school. You know, it, it, this province is still quite traditional in its perspectives of, of, of ways to, to offer services, but that's always worked throughout. You, you combine that with some virtual supports from the community or virtual opportunities, and we could have real opportunities here, but it's going to come back to investment, isn't it, to create these hubs of support. Uh, the school, as of, you know, to talk about your Christmas concert years ago, you go back to the old-fashioned Christmas concerts that were held in the schools and, and so on. The school, all, in the end of the day, is always the meeting place, and no matter what goes on, you can rely on the teachers to keep your kids safe. We did it through COVID, for God's sake. So uh, if, the, if government can start viewing our schools, which we have uh, over 250 still in this province, as the hubs, very solid buildings uh that 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 is a model in in our perspective and i think in the majority of the public if they truly look at it uh for support for communities and for families moving forward 
Trent Langdon, a pleasure as always. Really appreciate your time this afternoon. All the best to you and uh, Merry Christmas if we don't speak before then. Absolutely. Same to you, Linda. Take care of yourself. All the best. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. We're going to talk seals again, believe it or not, with a different, slightly different perspective than some of the ones we've been hearing uh, most recently. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, everyone.